Hello again, friends and leaders. Welcome back to What Leaders Want. I'm your host, Jay Delling, and it's here, right here, that we peel the proverbial onion back on how leadership makes the world go around. Today's podcast is sponsored by Canadis 3, the experts in leadership development, coaching, consulting, and healthy company culture. Canadis 3 develops people into leaders of people. It's going to be fun today. We're going to have a blast. My guest is Kirk Elmquist, and I'm going to try to take one deep breath and tell you what his title is. He's the executive director of the Branson Lakes Area Tourism Community Enhancement District. Kurt, thanks for stopping by to talk about the impact leadership has in our world, and congratulations for having the longest business card in North America. That was a mouthful. Welcome, Kirk. You did good, man. Thank you for having me. I appreciate you, brother. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this. This is going to be fun. So I can't be guilty of calling your career predictable and monotonous. So, Kirk, your professional journey has so many wins and exciting adventures. You just got to pinch yourself every day when you get up. I've had uh, tremendous blessings. God's given me many things. My family's been very supportive of everything I've tried to accomplish. And you, you just take on things. You don't know why you do things in line and then a big explosion of greatness happens because you did these things back here starts back, you know, early on in 1987, I'm in a Cleveland Indians game and bought a St. Louis Cardinals hat. And we can get into more of that later, but I wasn't even a Cardinals fan. I just like the red hat and blonde haired girl in Virginia. And now I'm in Missouri. And I mean, you can't plan your own journey. Sometimes it's just fun to be prepared and be open and listening in your ears to, you know, do the right steps. Yeah, that's that. That's the key to it. A lot of times, people will try to overplan their life, whereas sometimes you just keep your eyes open, right? Keep your eyes open. Opportunities come your way, and that's exactly what's happened to you. And so, Branson, Missouri, is your home. That region is so blessed to have you as one of its biggest cheerleaders. When did this love affair with the Ozarks begin, and how did it evolve? I think 1990s where I'd have to go back to, and that relates to the Cardinals hat. I was, I wore a red hat to college. I graduated May 12th, 1990, 41, spoke at my graduation. And it was just an, an incredible experience at Liberty University. Played one double A football, wasn't very good. I was a backup. I had servant leadership in my mind at the time because I wasn't a starter. I wasn't going on to the league but I had a wonderful time going to those tryouts and enjoying men like you who made me feel good about who I was. And that's what, to me, when Sam Rotigliano grabbed a hold of me, he says, I need you to do these steps to help me with the ESPN cameras coming in and sports illustrated, go over and pick up the reporter. They're doing a story on me on being a new coach. I didn't know then uh, that I'd be dealing with media and be dealing with all the great things in sports ma management and marketing and that type of thing. So I got the books out. Um, was dating a gal from Missouri and met her the year before because she asked about my Cardinal hat that I'd bought two years ago in Cleveland at an Indians game. And fast forward, I uh, had the blessings to move to Missouri and I'd really fell in love with the Ozarks. I visited down here with my wife and she's from here and she goes, well, you don't want to, you don't want to live there. And I said, absolutely I do. So I came to the Ozarks and then the Cardinals brought a double A team here. And I've been working with John Q. Hammonds and, and doing a lot of PGA golf stuff in Kansas City and in Springfield, Missouri. And it just 
fit. And now I get to rock the World Series ring from 2006. Oh, look at that. What's fun is why did I buy that hat in 87? I think God nudges you and does things down your path. And I've tried to be open. And, you know, now, Jay, my role has become I'm a fixer. And the last five positions I've had in Missouri, I was the only person that had ever done that position. And I've been very fortunate to work for three billionaire families here in this in the Ozarks, never had to leave. And now it's about enhancement of tourism to invite the world uh, for more tourism in our Branson marketplace and work on big rocks down the road. So much, much uh, gratitude from my heart. I know that. All right. Who's your favorite Cardinal of all time? Well, I had the blessings and fortune to be around Stan Musial a lot before he passed when we were with the Missouri Sports Hall of Fame. And we did the we created a Stan Musial golf classic and put his name on it. And he endorsed it and gave us the, the Pope's reading. On it. It was kind of fun. <laughs> uh, Stan was such a genuine, kind man. I, I never got to see him play because he, he had obviously retired before I was even on the planet. And when I got to be around Albert Pujols, you know, working in the capacity as vice president of sales and marketing for the AA affiliate, I was just in phenomenal. I had phenomenal respect for him because how he handled the press and how he handled things. I think in the current role, my most favorite was Adam Wainwright. He came in my office one day, we hit it off like that. He came down to throw and he didn't have a glove. So he borrowed my catcher's mitt that Rawlings had built for my hand. And it was kind of fun because he needed a glove. Well, what connected us was hilarious because I'm sitting there putting lotion on my hands and then on my head because bald guys got to keep that thing so it doesn't you know dry up on you. He goes, is that Juniper Breeze? And he knew the smell and that's what he liked. So for the next five years of us being around each other, he'd be like, what's up, Juniper? I mean, <laughs> little funny things like that where we connected on funny, funny things that showed these men as human beings, not just superstars. But I think my all-time affiliate affiliated person with the Cardinals was Jack Buck being around Jack and his family was there's not a more genuine, humble giver of love to men and women in the community, regardless of your station. And he treated me with the utmost respect and he deserved it, you know, from all of us. He raised a pretty good broadcaster as well. No, what a great broadcaster. So you've seen the Branson market Kirk grow over your time there. It's just not the bald knobbers and Presleys anymore, right? Didn't happen by accident. Who have been the stakeholders in driving this growth of Branson, Missouri? Well, you start with the the music industry there. The live music shows has was was the foundation. I think the lake area has just exploded for summertime boats becoming the top lake in the United States. The Hershen family, when they bought the cave in the 19 or 60 plus years ago and turned it into a family amusement park, is our number one driver, which comes to our region. And then when John Morris has really made an impact on uh, the resort side of Branson down in Ridgedale, his impact on that is just phenomenal. You know, you, you mentioned the Presley family. They were one of the originals there and they're still there. And, you know, and I know a couple of the family members and they're just very talented people, but live music attractions and outdoor are really the three drivers of, of what goes on in our market. Yeah. So talk about, I, I watched uh, an interview with uh, you on the barber shop, Jim Barber, who at one point um, he, he was like considered one of the top 10 ventriloquists in the world. 
And so you were on his show and he gave you a hard time because you mentioned a couple of times a guy named John Morris. And, and he said, Kirk, nobody calls Johnny Morris, John. So yeah. you've got a pretty good friendship with him. If you work for him, you don't call him Johnny. And uh, when you build a relationship with him, the first day I started in 2014, I, I said, Mr. Morris, what would you like to do? And he stopped me and he goes, it's John or Johnny. Please don't call me Mr. Morris again. I said, yes, sir, Mr. Morris. You know, I was just <laughs> how I was raised. And he yeah. kind of looked at me like, you smart aleck. You know, I'm not kidding. So the relationship I have with John to this day is one of my cherished. Uh, we text back and forth probably two, three times a month about something that humors him and me. And we have that little fun thing that we have working together for six years. Um, I, I applaud his success as much as I possibly can because I admire what he's done. He's most people don't see the behind the scenes, what he, what he deals with the payroll, uh, the load that's on that man each day is, is inspiring. So our relationship is of uh, trust. We did a lot of great things together when he had me as his tournament director at Legends of Golf, working with the PGA Tour champions and College of the Ozarks, giving money to them to build those amazing memorials that honor the 1,410 mm -hmm. men and women that died from Missouri in the Vietnam conflict, the Korean conflict memorial, the Gold Star Family Memorial that we got to help erect. And then I think one of the ones that really got to me was the, uh, the War on Terror um, memorial that's there and it really is a nice um tribute to the patriots who served and john morris you know instilled that in me and when i got to meet oliver north at liberty university in 88 when he spoke at graduation um i just had a a love for these veterans who really put their necks on the line for our country for our freedom and then i get to work in it and get to give money and raise money per year to help Dr. Davis do things at College of the Ozarks. And now a new thing is, you know, our mayor, Larry Milton, has really pushed this tribute to valor and try to bring back the Bob Hope era of veterans in Branson, Missouri, and working with, you know, some of the wonderful Medal of Honor winners. And I've had the fortune now to meet two. And uh, sometimes, well, they say it's harder to meet a Medal of Honor recipient than it is an Oscar winner, a Super Bowl champion, because I've met a lot of those types of people. But to meet these Medal of Honor uh, recipients, and they're not winners. They didn't sign up to a, be in a competition. They're recipients, and they owe our respect. There's 63 left on the planet, and they've never all been together in the same room. And Branson has a goal. We have a mission to honor those veterans. I don't know that we'll get all 63 here at one time, but they're parlaying this into a new thing to stimulate children in science, technology, engineering, and math. And Branson wants to be a part of those kind of things. Well, those are big rocks, Jay. That's Those are the things that I got hired to help be engaged in and help out with and move things forward. But yeah, John Morris, he inspires me almost daily because I see the beauty he's brought to the beautiful Ozarks. Wow. And to start out selling fishing lures out of your, your trunk. So you've yeah. touched on it, right? What's next? for Branson, right? What's next in the growth process for Branson? Who drives it? Who leads it? And what's the ultimate outcome in this journey? It's an ultimate collaboration with all the stakeholders. You know, sitting with Pete Hershon and knowing Jack Hershon, I'm in the same office building he's in and I see him many times per week. 
and just be around these men that have such humility about what they've accomplished. They're still driving things and they've been retired for over 20 years. And that's what's so neat about it. They're great inspirers to give back to your community, whether it's a charitable function, a business function, or for your church and, you know, those kind of great things. But tourism being driven, we have to have better transportation, more access for people to get here. I think the airport needs to enhance, if it possibly can, to bring in more commercial flights. I believe widening I-44 to six lanes from St. Louis to Joplin and all in, in Oklahoma is going to be critical. Uh, safety and, and security with the truck industry, the car industry. So there's lanes of safety for families and truck drivers uh, to get to our region. I think 65 that comes south out of Springfield needs enhanced uh, in certain spots. Some of it's very, very good and some of it could use some improvements for safety more light, you know, that kind of thing. And I think the Ozark Mountain High Road to me is one of the big goals that needs to happen. It's a, It comes off 65 and kind of bends in behind Silver Dollar City. Pete Hershen shared a dream and a vision with me. And I thought you'd just wrap it around Ridgedale and come all the way back up through Hollister and put it back at 65. And he said, hey, that's a great thought, but why don't we bend it to Northwest Arkansas, make it easier for that group to get in here and then make it easier for our people to get back down to there. So I think, Transportation is a big, big thing. Total collaboration with the region. It can't be just about the population uh, in Branson. It has to, we have to continue to work on infrastructure and make things safer and more secure here uh, for the roads and, and for the people. And then the human being element, finding people to work in the hospitality industry. I think you have to have affordable housing, which helps these people that wait the tables, that sing the songs, um, that work the roller coasters and the, the Ferris wheels and, and the Bigfoot rides that are on 76. <laughs> uh, you got to have all those kind of people and then they have to have a place to live and not all of them can afford, you know, the type of housing that maybe you and I grew up in. Uh, things have evolved. You know, my first home, uh, you look at the square footage of that today, that's almost going for 120,000 more than it was in 1994 when I bought that. So, we have to adjust, we have to understand economics and be very collaborative working together as a region. You know, the Ozark Mountains are one of the most beautiful parts of the United States. And we wanna cherish the the, uh, the reserves and the, uh, the these amazing resources that we've been given. So we have to be environmentally conscientious, you know, what we do, how we do things, trash removal is important, all those things, how you drive cars and, you know, it's just, it's about our water as well. We have the, one of the greatest fresh lakes area down in the country, and we have to preserve that, make sure it stays clean and safe for people to water ski and fish and swim and enjoy uh, lots of time on the lake. So it, it's a lot. I think big rocks are a big part of it. And then I think building our brand toward one of the number one brands in the world and the Kansas City Chiefs is an initiative we took on this past year, and that's going pretty well. Very well. Kirk Elmquist, our guest on What Leaders Want, a tourism leader in the Branson area. Let's play word association, Kirk. I'm going to say a word. You tell me what comes to mind. Okay. Courage. Three words, Medal of Honor. Citizenship. Love of country. Sacrifice. Grit. Integrity and commitment. Integrity. 
You give it away once. Commitment is who you are as a human being of the gifts you've been given. All right, well said. Now we're at the point in the podcast where we get to know Kirk Elmquist. All right, I'm going to ask a question or ask you to pick between two things. There's no points awarded, no prizes earned. You get nothing and you like it. Are you ready? I got to win something. I'm on a competitor. We got to have something. (laughs) All right, we'll get the producers to come up with with something. All right. You know know a guy? I know a guy that knows a guy. All right. Obviously, we're we're in the Branson area, music, comedy, lots of great entertainment. All right, so music or comedy? Music. Who would win the pillow fight between the Bald Knobbers and the Presleys? <laughs> <laughs> Historically, it's just got to be the Bald Knobbers. They're mean son of a guns, aren't they? That's how they got their heritage. I mean, you got to go with that. I think the Presleys, are, they're lovers. Yeah. Pontoon boat or speedboat? Pontoon boat. It probably depends on the day, right? In a well, way. Yeah, you said yeah. I had to answer one No, more. I get it. I, I get want it. both, but if I'm family-oriented, <laughs> give me the big 30-foot pontoon I put a bunch of people on. All right. Who was the starting quarterback? the Liberty Flames in 1990? Robbie Justino. So Sam Rattigliano, which was the, the head coach for, for Liberty back in 1990, would have started the backup quarterback with the record would have been better or worse than seven and four. Let's see. So Paul Johnson was the starter and he got hurt. Robbie came in and finished it out. And then Rob Hewlett would have been the backup, and then Kirk Elmquist, the third string guy. We <laughs> okay, so let me word the let me read. We'd have been a lot worse. We'd have been a lot worse. All right, let's turn to golf. Pebble Beach or Augusta National? To play or watch? To play. I've played Pebble Beach. I would covet the opportunity to play Augusta. And I'm going to tell you, you can't go wrong with you on them, but I'm, the, the beauty of Pebble Beach is just hard to understand and explain. That's the next on my bucket list. I've been to Augusta National three times now. All yeah, right. Then never played it. Yeah, it's just beautiful. Okay, yeah. Augusta National or St. Andrews? To play? Mm-hmm. Jeez, these are great questions. I'm going to go Augusta. Oh, I like that. Okay. All right. So you and I are going to play one hole before the sun sets today. Are we going to play the posted stamp par 317th at TPC at Sawgrass or the par 513th at Augusta National? Oh, Augusta National. I've played the 17th at Sawgrass. It's fun. It's it's not all that. It's not, it's not easy. I'm not saying it's easy, but. Put me on Augusta all day long. Let's go. All right. <clears throat> so we're in the Branson area. It's it's a calm and warm Sunday afternoon after church. You call me up to play golf. Where are we playing? We'll probably go to Payne's Valley. I love it. 
Love it. All right, your dream foursome, dead or alive, you and three others. Frank Sinatra, Tony Soprano, and Ronald Reagan. Wow. You talk about a group. I'm, I want to be a four caddy in that group. All right, Kirk Elmquist, getting to know him. Thanks, Kurt. Again, no points awarded, no prizes. Wow. You get nothing, but we had a good time doing it. Sure All did. right, back to the ranch. So every conversation I have on what leaders want include the topic, my most impactful leadership moment. Yours includes arguably the greatest golfer ever and a music icon. Tell us about that. It's 2019. And I've been working all year about making sure the details are put in place for our April Legends of Golf. And one of the celebrities that's been handed to me from John Morris's team and Debbie Bennett was Justin Timberlake. So I went and met with Justin's team in St. Louis just to have meetings regarding on needs, what he likes, what he, what's he, why is he coming, all those kind of things. We had 13 or 14 conversations, you know, in the, in the months leading up to it. And his big thing was, I want to play with Jack Nicklaus in Skins game. And I'm like, no problem. John Morris has already endorsed that. The PGA Tour is behind it. The golf channel's in. We're all good to go. Kevin, he's good to go. Who's managing and handling Justin Timberlake. And they're dear friends. And he caddies for him as well when he plays golf. So Kevin and I hit it off pretty well. We get to connect and about family and kids and all the things. So the day of the tournament, Jack is to land on Tuesday. We begin the skins game and we start playing pro-ams, that kind of thing. So Jack's supposed to fly in on Tuesday. And Justin Timberlake is in now Monday night. And on Tuesday, he's coming to hit balls. And I'm sitting in the office and I get a phone call. And I haven't been face-to-face -face with Justin Timberlake yet. So I get a phone call and Jack Nicholas's name and picture comes up on my phone. And I answer the phone thinking he's landed. He, his car, something's wrong. Because I'm the guy that always calls when something's wrong, when they need something. It's not, hey, Kirk, I've got this for you. It's you didn't you did do something wrong. That's leadership, which is I love it. That, you know, that's one of the things. So he says, um, I hate to make this phone call. Matter of fact, I've never made this phone call. He said, I've been grounded by my doctor. I cannot fly. It could be a life or death situation because of what's going on in my head and inside of my sickness. And I was my my heart just sunk to the bottom of my, I was like, what are, are you dying? Are you okay? Or tell me what we can do for you as a, as a Christian man. I want to pray. What do we need to do? He said, Kirk, my doctors have me. I'm not allowed to fly. Uh, and I, I have to, uh, I have to cancel coming to your tournament. In my face, I, I mean, I had to be just a mess outside, but internally I was probably even worse. And I mean, it wasn't two minutes after that, Jay, Kevin walks through the door of the office and he points at me and he goes, JT needs to see you. And I literally have no time to call John Morris, get a reaction and walk into the locker room. And it's Justin Timberlake and Kevin, and that's the only people in there. So I pass through security and walk in there and I said, Hey, Justin, nice to meet you. He bro hugs me. And, you know, just, everything you think of kindness and a wonderful human being, that's what he is. I mean, I was blown away at his warm, genuine brotherhood right off the bat. And that is just something that to me, cause I don't really want anything from any celebrity or 
any person that's different than I am. I just want to show them respect and how can I serve them? And I look over at him. I'm like, man, how was your flight? Everything's good. He goes, yeah, John's team set me up. We're all good. Family's here. We're going to be here all week. We're probably going to stay even after the tournament. And I'm just like, he goes, I'm so excited to play with Jack Nicholas. And I said, uh, well, I just got off the phone with Jack Nicholas and he is being canceled by his doctor to come and play in our golf tournament. And out of Justin Timberlake's mouth, I'll never forget it. He goes, is he okay? Do we need to pray for his family? And I'm kind of like, we will do that together. I said, but I need you to be Jack Nicholas this week. He said, what do you mean? Cause see Arnold Palmer taught Justin Timberlake how to play golf. So this connection to these guys, and we're standing in Arnie's barn at top of the rock. This is where the office is. And he goes, what do you mean by that? I go, you're carrying this golf tournament this week. Jack Nicholas, you have to play with Gary Player now. You get to play with Gary Player now. You're going to lead our skins game, and we got to ramp you up. Can you, can you handle that? Or I go, I can't do anything about Jack not being here. I never assumed he was going to leave out of madness or frustration off of his first initial reaction to me that Jack couldn't be there. So I turned it on him quickly and just said, you're my Jack Nicholas. And granted, globally, he touches so many things, kind of like what Taylor Swift's done for football. I mean, he touches so many things outside of golf, you know, different than what Jack touches. You know, every golfer knows, but not every musician lover knows about Jack Nicholas, <clears throat> vice versa. So those kind of things. So here comes Justin Timberlake. He goes, well, Kev, and Kevin's about to snap my neck. I mean, he's kind of like, <laughs> now my reputation's on the line because I told this guy, this big ball guy told me that I get to play Jack Nicholas. And none of us can could could control the situation. But Kevin was such a professional. And Justin Timberlake was an absolute prince when it came down to taking the lead in our tournament. And one of the greatest things that happened that week was the bond between he and I. Uh, we would be standing and talking and he'd say, wouldn't it be cool if Jack was here on this shot? And he said, Kirk, what would Jack hit on this first tee shot? I said, well, last year he hit this eight iron into this and do, 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 And we started teeing it up. Well, then his wife was there with the children. So he's walking up eight and I'll never forget this. I'm walking the fairway with him. I had the pleasure that day because we had to get the skins game moving to catch up with TV. That's part of my role as well. He goes and grabs Cyrus, his young son. And Cyrus had really never been photographed before because he was so little. So Cyrus is a couple of years old, maybe he's four, and Justin's carrying him and walking up eight fairway at the top of the rock and People Magazine shoots a picture of him. And that magazine photo went global that week and had one billion global social impressions on one picture from him and what he did for John Morris's golf resort and what he's done down there. And their friendship is strong as to, to this day. But I didn't know what to do. I just did what my heart told me to do. I didn't have time to write a plan or create a structure. It was kind of like being in the pocket and here comes these defensive ends that just want to rip your head off. You just have to make a decision. And I made a decision and it was a high risk decision because, you know, the owner that I worked for wasn't informed yet. And then we informed him together and, and then Jack and John talked together and, you know, those are a much higher level than I was ever involved in, but, you have to make decisions when you're in the fight. You have to make decisions to say what you're doing and, and uh, have the guts to do it. And I got to tell you, I don't know uh, at the time that this was going to be such a, a pivotal moment, but it turned our golf tournament around like you can't believe. Wow, that's self-awareness and self-leadership. 
All right, Kirk, what does enthusiasm by example mean to you? I think I, the last four letters, Tom Hopkins told me this in 1990. I was in 91 in January 7th or 8th in Chicago, Illinois. I was sitting in a training seminar, I'm 22 years old. And he said, enthusiasm, if you spell it, the last four letters are I-A-S-M. It's I am sold myself. And I get sold on something, I can sell it to you. But more importantly, I have to be confident enough in myself where I don't have to spend time on myself. I'm spending time on others and what this process, product, experience can do for others. That's what enthusiasm is about, giving of yourself to other people so they can enjoy the experience. Wow. So your leadership style and perspective, like most of us, have evolved over time. Talk about this idea of love, hospitality, listening. Listening is critical. Uh, Two ears, one mouth for a reason. If you listen twice as much as you speak, you know, Jay, I've never learned anything when I'm talking. I only I only learn from listening to wise people in my life and young people who give me unique perspectives at my age. It's kind of fun. Listening is to me is critical. If I share my idea your way, it becomes true. If I share my idea my way, you tend to doubt it. So as a persuader of people trying to do good things for people, whether it's tourism, a wall sign at a baseball park, a sponsorship for a pro-am, it has to benefit the investor. So listening is the only way that I've ever gotten there. Uh, love conquers all things. Uh, when you have a problem with a human being and you were born of a sinful nature, I recommend you say their name that you're struggling with out loud and give their name up in prayer to get them off of you because you're going to handle it wrong. You're going to handle it in your sinful nature on what you think is best for you, but God's going to handle that situation, intervene for you. And it's going to be best for all parties and the interventions that he can do for us and going ahead. That's the love part of my leadership style. And I didn't always have that. I used to just handle things on my own and, you know, do things and be the dominant person and run over and uh, hurt a lot of toes on the way there and made a lot of mistakes and probably some enemies. And I hope they'll forgive me because, at 55 years of age, I try to love first. When there's people who are adversarial with me, I don't want to fight head on, face to face. Life's too short. I don't want to be in the newspaper for being a disgruntled, uh, ignorant person. I want to be in the newspaper for good things for other people. Uh, I want to be engaged with human beings in collaboration that they said, well, man, I was treated fairly. Kirk loved me through that situation or that you could tell there was love at the table. You know, I think those those are very, very critical. and hospitality, you can't buy it, but you have to have it in our industry. You know, it's like life insurance, money buys it, but it doesn't make you safer. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to create the safety. You have to create the security. Hospitality is much the same. Yeah. You can train, 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 teach, 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 but genuinely in your heart, if you uh, only care about yourself, you're not going to be very hospitable. So I try to pe- treat people like if you come to my home and you want a particular type of food or drink, I'm going to, I'm going to try to get it for you. I'm going to sh- treat you with respect and hospitality is making someone else's experience better than, the, than what they expected. That's hot. That's genuine Ozarks hospitality. Kirk Elmquist, uh, leader in tourism in the Branson, Missouri area. 
Kirk, you have a chief leadership role with the uh, Branson Chamber that introduces proven leadership principles to leaders in and around the Branson area. Tell us about this initiative and what it brings to the participants of this leadership training program and ultimately what it means to the leadership of growing Branson. It's been going on many, many years before I got here. And then I went through the program and met you guys. And I thought I could volunteer my time in doing this. So I engaged as a volunteer to give the you know, 11 months it basically takes to put this on, nine months of intensive training face-to-face -face with the class. And you sign up for a class and you commit to it and there's 30 to 40 to 50 people in it. And you're together for a solid year and you have a graduation at the end of the year. But in that time, we try to bend those people to become a team of class of 22 or class of 24, whatever it is. And what that does is they learn about what the Branson history is and the Lakes area are together. And we show them the inside of what a dam does and why do we have dams down here to dam these rivers, to create power, to create lights, to create tourism. Why do we go listen to planning and zoning and talk to city leaders and understand the governmental side? And we also teach the fundamentals of not-for-profit and giving back. We also teach that, you know, you might be 35 years old or even 55 years old sitting in this classroom. We've had a 75-year-old go through it. It's kind of fun. But they are the future leader that has to take responsibility for creating business, creating tax revenue, creating a tourism lifestyle of hospitality in our marketplace. And we try to mold and melt these group together and we teach principles along the way. We, we slide it in with a guerrilla marketing tactic of, uh, by the way, what's your personality like? And we hire experts like you to come in and, and test our people so they can maximize themselves and get them thoughts, get their self, get their thoughts off themselves so they can focus on leading other people. And I think a strong leader has confidence in who they are. And we try to instill that. And we also try to, there's a quiet leader sitting in the room. Well, maybe their example is a, as a, a family person, a steady personality, maybe not necessarily a dominant or an influencer, but it's somebody who can really do a lot of great things behind the scenes and brings tremendous value to the program. So I try to engage myself and I've got a partner in this and Shelly and of course, Grant with the chamber, but our personalities are drastically different. But when I went through this class, I thought, I could help bring some of my enthusiasm, energy, and leadership to the front of this. And we've really tried to ramp it up and we've had some great results. This started many, many years ago. We're just trying to enhance it like we do with tourism. How do you sign up for this leadership program? Go to explore uh, or go to bransonchamber.com and you'll find the leadership class. We're taking applications right now. And I got to tell you, if, if you're listening to this podcast, whether it's this year, next year, or down the road, if you are in the Branson region, you'd like to go through this. We'd love to have you because the historic value, the personal introspection that you'll pick up through this and the, the camaraderie of teammates and the knowledge is just phenomenal and it's worth it. You know, what's fun is go through it. And then we've never had anybody ask for their money back. Kurt, thank you so much for your, your time today and sharing your thoughts about leadership. It was truly an honor to have you on What Leaders Want. Friends, that's a wrap. We will put a bow on this episode of What Leaders Want. Today's podcast is sponsored by Canadis 3, the experts in leadership development, coaching, consulting, and healthy company culture. Canadis 3 develops people into leaders 
of people. Until we meet again, remember if your actions inspire others to dream more, learn more, do more, and become more, you, my friends, are a leader. Bye now.